Today we're going to go through, a, well, first of all, you may notice I'm not Paul, if you know Paul, and uh, I tried to wear my Titus jeans and roll my jeans just right, been working on my British accent and all that, but I'm not going to use it because it wasn't good enough and I didn't want to offend anyone, but uh, we'll try to do the best we can in his absence, and we certainly pray for him while he's doing great work down in Brazil. Um, we're going to go through a series of biblical texts and over, overlaid by a concept. Now, there's going to be a lot of parts that by themselves could be a really great message, and I'm not going to have time to, to really dig into those today, but I'm hoping that it'll be kind of like looking for a garage sale. You'll see the arrow, and it'll be just enough to go down that road and find what you're looking for here today, and hopefully we'll, we'll all have something we can take home. We're going to start off, let's see if this works. Excellent. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. And that is rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, being Thanksgiving week, by all means, we have to focus on give thanks today. Notice, though, that it says give thanks. It does not say feel thankful. That's a very important distinction, because grammatically, this is an imperative, and Scripture is full of them. An imperative, by definition, is of vital importance, crucial, giving an authoritative command, absolutely necessary or required, unavoidable. See, a life of faith does not depend on how we feel, but on how we respond, whether we feel it or not. This is not just to discount emotional experiences. By all means, some of them are a wonderful part of experiencing God. But if we chase or rely on an emotional high as a chief indication that we are Christians, then we're missing the point and cheapening what God wants for us. He may, he, we make it about us rather than about what he wants for us and who he is and what he deserves from us. Let me give you an example. I love you. Well, what does that mean? Everybody's got an idea. Well, what does it mean if you've got kids? You got a spouse, parents, anybody spend any time with extended family around Thanksgiving recently? What does it mean when you're angry? What does it mean when you're frustrated, when you're irritated, when you just don't like that person very much for a minute? When you don't feel it, it still means the same thing. And the facts don't change. See, love is more of a choice than it is a feeling. And that's how we approach God. It's a fact versus an emotion. The facts don't change, and though our emotions very often will. And God knows this about us. And he gives us these imperatives throughout Scripture to guidance, guidance to short-circuit our own emotional inconsistency. Give thanks. Repent and be baptized. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Confess your sins. Forgive one another as I've forgiven you. Now, if there's a hard one to do when you don't feel it, that one right there. That's just to name a few. And each one of those by itself could just be a whole sermon. God knows us. He knows that we are fallen. He knows that we are emotionally inconsistent. He knows that we're inherently selfish. And he knows that sometimes we're just downright stupid people. And I apologize to those of you who didn't know that about yourself before you got here today. <laughs> the enemy knows this about us, too. 
and he likes to change the story, to manipulate our minds, to focus on how utterly unworthy we are. I think you'll find that giving thanks, as God asks us to do, in all circumstances, can be quite an effective way of reframing any situation away from us and who we are or who we fail to be and back on God and who he is. He, his consistency, he consistently responds to us with unconditional love and forgiveness and how he is bigger and he has a plan. Thank God for that. And this is why we're here. This is why we pray. This is why we praise. It's all about who he is and he never changes. The enemy wants you to obsess and get frustrated about that red light, that mistake you made, that traffic, that stupid thing you said that you keep playing over and over again in your head, that breakup, that job loss. He wants you to question whether you're loved, whether you're worthy, whether he's real. But God implores us to give thanks in all circumstances recognizing that he is greater and he is at work. There's a parable that you may have heard before. It's about a man and a rock. God asks the man, I want you to go out and I want you to push on that rock. The man does. Every single day he goes out and he pushes as hard as he can on this rock for years and years, every single day. Finally, he just gets frustrated and he says, God, I don't know what you want from me. I've been pushing on this rock every day and it hasn't moved a single inch. God says, I never asked you to move it. I asked you to push. Now look at your legs. Look at the muscles that are developed. Look at your back and how strong it is. Look at your arms, your neck, your shoulders. Now you're ready for what I have planned for you. See, our emotions are not only inconsistent, but they're often unreliable and misinformed. We think we know what God wants, and so we try to take over from there. But God has another plan. As Christ followers, we're called to look beyond what's in front of us and let God have it all, recognizing that there's a greater plan than we know about. From our mistakes, we learn lessons that we would have otherwise missed. That red light may have been exactly what showed you, slowed you down enough to keep you from danger ahead. That painful breakup taught you lessons about yourself and may have made you ready and available for the next person that come along. That loss of your job may have been the only way you would have even considered taking the step into that incredible career that comes next. And so on, and so on, and so on. See, even if the devil puts stumbling blocks in front of us, God can turn those into good. That's the beauty of the Lord. He wins every time. But sometimes our own baggage and expectations get in the way. The story in Matthew 11, 2 through 4, John the Baptist, who you may remember, is Jesus' cousin and who was the herald to announce his, his coming and acknowledged him as the Christ early, early on in Jesus' ministry. But now John the Baptist finds himself in prison. Well, this wasn't part of the plan. We're supposed to be taking over the world by now. Then he hears about what Jesus is doing, ministering to the poor and healing people. Well, that we're supposed to be overthrowing the Romans right now. What's going on? 
his expectations and his baggage. See, here's what it says. John the Baptist is in prison. Meanwhile, John heard in prison about the works of Christ, and he sent out two disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come, or should we look for someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. What? How could someone fall away because of Jesus? Well, because their expectations of what he would do were in conflict with what he did do. And our baggage and our expectations get in the way. John missed it for a moment. I think he was okay in the end. And we do that. Let's look at Mark. He expected a revolution to overflow the oppressors on this plane, but what was delivered was eternal hope for the oppressed. God didn't come to overthrow. He came to bring hope and to save. Mark 9, 15 through 25. Now, this is a father who has had a son who's been demon-possessed to the point that he's thrown himself in the fires, and he's a believer. And Jesus asks him, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from fatherhood. It's often thrown him both into the fire and on the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, please take pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Now, this sounds like a contradiction. It definitely reveals some baggage the father was carrying. But sometimes the depth of our personal faith comes face to face with our sincere belief in God. And we can simultaneously believe that God is real and powerful, but also wonder just how much he can or will do. Very often we aren't even aware of this dichotomy in ourselves until tragedy strikes. When the way we react to something is in contrast with what we would have said we believed before the something happened. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced that, but there's a story of a couple who lost their daughter. She was a vibrant, athletic, in college, very healthy girl, went to the beach one day and contracted a parasite that took her quickly but very painfully. She was in the hospital for about two weeks and just dwindled, 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 eventually went into a coma and, and passed. It was painful for the parents. The wife was particularly shaken, and as they were walking out of the hospital, she just stopped her husband and looked him in the eyes and said, I need you to tell me what we believe. After a few moments, he replied with four words, the tomb is empty. See, she was shaken to her core. She was in the early stages of doubt, but four words reminded her of the bigger picture. That we believe not because we have all the answers. That's not really faith. We believe because we know there is a bigger picture in, in this world. This is not home. I myself have experienced similar emotions to this. I lost both of my parents this year. And when I lost my mother, I had watched her over time just dwindle and wither from the vibrant, energetic, fun-loving woman she always was 
to a bed-bound shadow of her former self. And while mourning her ultimate passing, I meditated on these very scriptures. And ultimately, as I often do, I expressed in song the emotions that I was dealing with there. I'm going to share that with you, if you would. Allow me to. you for allowing me to, to share that. You see, sometimes our emotions and our unmet expectations of how we feel God should respond can create stumbling blocks. Little cracks in our faith as our humanness collides with our spirituality. It's not necessarily that we don't believe, but we need to be reminded a little bit of the truth. 
the big picture. And these cracks, they need to be mended and reinforcement, reinforced to prevent the enemy, the father of lies, from creeping in to these weak points. Well, how do we do it? What, what tools do we have to strengthen our faith? There, there's several. I'm going to just talk about two. What are our tools? How do we strengthen our faith to the point that we can push past our own unreliable emotions? The short version, there's two here, and time in the word is going to be number one. Romans 10, 7 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Hearing. Not having heard. There's a distinct difference. We're back to grammar class again. Okay, This is what's called a present progressive. Present progressive indicates continuing action, something going on right now. See, it, it's not enough to have heard the truth. We have to be hearing it, reinforcing ourselves, filling in the cracks as they come along. It's a weapon. When we rely only on what we may have heard before, we can easily be underinformed of the whole story and take pieces out of context and create our whole belief system on our own, apart from what Scripture has to say. And I know we've all seen that happen before. I'll give you an example of this. When I was in the third grade, I lived just south of Six Flags down there a ways, and we were moving to Bedford right up this very road when where we were standing was essentially a swamp. And we were going past up here, and there is an establishment up here on the left. You may have seen it before. It's uh, called Baby Dolls. And uh, I saw that, Baby Dolls Topless. And I just asked my dad, well, what do they do when it rains? Because why would they build a building with no roof on it? Topless, right? Topless means topless, right? Well, context is pretty important. The, what I knew, what I had known, wasn't enough to inform me about what I was looking at. Because topless doesn't always mean topless. You know what I mean? That's, that's an example of how we approach God's word. We have heard it in our younger lives. We have heard that verse before. Oh, I know what the Bible says about all this. But do you? Are you in a different place now that now God can speak to you differently? See, we call it the living word for a reason. Because it speaks to us differently at different times. And we have to be in it to hear it. To be hearing in the present progressive sense. Time in the word helps us provide context and open up our understanding of God and more deeply interpret what we may have heard before. Second one, I already fast forwarded here, is prayer, our second tool. In our verse in Thessalonians, it said, pray continually, right? Well, that's another imperative. Kind of like clean your room. Very few of us want to do that when we don't feel like it, right? But we never regret it after it's done. Prayer is like that. Sometimes we're not feeling it, but when we get it, when we get it done, we never regret it. That time with the Lord. Except in my house, when my room gets cleaned, it's really a game of hide Jason stuff, because I never can find anything when my room gets clean. Uh, we need to take time to pray, and there is a little trite but very effective statement. That says the best thing to do when you don't feel like praying is to talk to God about it. Sounds a little trite, right? But what if we just all tried that every time? Would we regret it? Not a single second. See, prayer gives us an instant place to go 
And this has been recognized by, by more than just our community. Former President Abraham Lincoln. I've been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I have nowhere else to go. My wisdom and all that was around me seemed insufficient. Prayer is not just a tool, though. It's a weapon. My grandfather wrote a book on prayer, and he had this to say. The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to have some doubts. God knows your heart. Part of earnestly seeking involves questioning and wonder. But we have to be willing to be wrong and know God's truth when we see it and to be moved by him. Being stubborn in our own created beliefs without filtering them through the word of God and what God says about us is the surest way to open ourselves up to attacks from the enemy. And who wants only to leave you in doubt, confusion, and misery? Thank you. <laughs> the greatest weapon the devil has against you is not demon possession, but it's deception. If he can just get you to think less about yourself than God does, get you to break away from him because you don't feel like you're worthy, he's got you. Strengthening our faith comes down to recognizing the difference between the truth and a lie. Satan wants you to think you're not perfect. You'll never make it. That's a lie. He wants you to believe it's only about you. And since you're inconsistent and always feeling it, not always feeling it, then you don't belong in the kingdom of God. You have no place there. And that's a lie. Let me share with you some truths. Lust, adultery, lying, murder. Sound pretty bad. Probably don't describe most of us in here. But they do describe the man after God's own heart, King David. So King David got this moniker, the man's after, man after God's own heart, not as a validation or an excuse for his regrettable actions, but an acknowledgement of his heart which consistently sought the Lord, repented, and praised him mightily in spite of his personal failures. He didn't move to try to make excuses for himself or to get what he wanted in life or it's okay if I do this because God wants me to be happy. No. Repentance. Seek the Lord every time. Never making reasons for, to get what we want, but find ways to praise him. Truth. The Apostle Paul among the most influential Christians who, who ever lived and wrote most of the New Testament, expressed his frustration with his own imperfection in Romans 7. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. But he understood and wrote many of the imperatives. See, if, if the Apostle Paul and King David can't get it right, why in the world would we think that we could? Why in the world would we punish ourselves when God sees us so differently? 
what we come to say and believe about ourselves and our place in the kingdom in the absence of God's word is very awesome, often a lie. Our self-talk is often a stronghold for the enemy to taunt us when we don't intently plug back in and recharge on the truth and fill in our cracks. When I was preparing for this lesson, I came across for the first time a song by an artist named Lauren Daigle, and it beautifully illustrates this concept. I'm going to play it for you here. There's another truth. It's a story that we call the prodigal son. It's a story about a young man takes his birthright and goes off and squanders it in a wretched lifestyle, living, ends up living with the pigs, thinks he can come back to his father and maybe just be good enough to be a servant in his fields. But as soon as his father sees him on the road, he sprints, he runs. If you want to know how God responds to your stumbles, to your inadequacies, to your imperfections, to your inconsistencies, you just turn and you'll see him run. You may think you're not good enough, that you'll never be good enough. You may feel that you don't deserve to be loved or even to sing praise to God. You may feel that you're lost unworthy, broken, stupid, a failure. Well, you're right. But, and there's a great big but. God says you're mine. God says just turn my direction and I will run and hold you tighter than you've ever been held. God says nothing can separate you from my love. Nothing. God says, I will never give up on you. God says, my son's sacrifice erases your past. It erases your stupidity. It erases your brokenness. It makes you righteous and worthy in spite of yourself. And that is what I see when I look at you. God says, give thanks in all circumstances because I got this. And I believe. Lord, we just... We want to come to you and acknowledge that we are unworthy. We're so thankful for every way that you touch our lives, even when it doesn't feel good because we know and we believe that you have a plan that's greater and you're taking us somewhere great that's going to glorify you because it's not about us. We want to make it about you. Lord, help us to take steps that make it about you and to be comforted and joyful in that. Jesus' name. If you've heard and believed the lies and forgotten the message of the gospel, if you found yourself so wound up in your own emotions that you've lost sight of God's promises to you, if you just want to recommit yourself, if you've seen enough of a glimpse of God today that you're ready to ask more questions, if you're ready to give your life to Christ because you need a God who runs to you, we have prayer warriors positioned around the room. You can see them standing now. And they're waiting to just help take you to the throne room and respond to God. Shortly thereafter, we're also all going to participate in communion together. So as we worship, please stay put and you'll get further instructions on how we're going to do that.